What awaits each departing soul as it steps from time into eternity? That's the question. Because many people only think about the now, but they don't think about the hereafter. When a soul departs from this world, what awaits that soul? Hallelujah. Can you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Then read from verse 21 into 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. Paul writing said, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22. For us in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Take note. Can you lift your eyes up? Let me show you something. It is very tricky. What's the word? I mean, you can easily be tricked into believing that because verse 22 says, as in Adam all die, then you can conclude that it is appointed unto men, all men to die. In Adam all die, there is a mystery where the Bible says that it is not all of us who shall sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet sound. Hallelujah. That will be the subject for next week. But this morning, should anyone peradventure exit this earth whilst in the Lord, what away such an individual? That is what we are tackling now. For since by man came death, the question is what is death? At death, the invisible, immaterial element of man, that is your spirit and your soul, is released or separated from its earthly vessel. That is what happens at death. The body is restored to I said the body is subjected to some process of disintegration or decomposition, which ultimately restores it to its original material elements. So it doesn't matter even if the body is cremated, like some people believe in cremation, where the body is burned to ashes. Even if you burn it to ashes, at the end of the day, the element still remains the same. Whatever the individual constituents are of the body is released back into the soul. Is that okay? Are you following? We are going somewhere. So just follow this journey. It's going to be very beautiful. So I said here that thus it is man's body which after death is returned again to the material elements from which it was originally taken. Consequently, it will be man's body also which by resurrection will be raised up again from the same material elements. It is man's body that is restored to its original elements. Consequently, it is man's body that will be raised up again. Are you there? Resurrection is the process of raising again the second time. See, resurrection is the process of raising again the second time. All right. The pattern for the resurrection of all men is set by the resurrection of Christ himself. That is, that is going to be the subject for our consideration. First Corinthians 15, the same First Corinthians 15. Let's look at verse 23. I said, the pattern for the resurrection of all men is set by the resurrection of Christ himself. 
I think we just read verse 21 and 22. Is that right? Okay, let me read from verse 21 into 23 so you get the picture. He said, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Verse 23. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Someone say, Christ, the first fruits, and then afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. What does that mean? First fruits simply means the first and the best. Meaning that the kind of resurrection that Jesus' body went through is a pattern it's a picture of the kind of resurrection that all those who have died in Christ will also go through. Whose bodies will be raised from the original material elements back to the same body. Except that it is a glorified body. Hallelujah. Please, are you following? Alright. I said something here. Christ, the first fruit. What does that mean? The first to be raised from the dead. Some say Christ is the first to be raised from the dead. Look at my language. I didn't say Christ is the first to be raised from death. I said he is the first to be raised from the dead. The question is, who are the dead? We said death means what? Separation. Is that right? So when the Bible refers to the dead, he is talking about those who are separated from eternal life. They are forever lost. They are in where the Bible calls Hades, the suffering compartment of, 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 of the underworld. Kept in prison, as it were. In fact, that is cell. They are kept in a cell to be judged one day and then to be cast into everlasting prison, which the Bible calls everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Christ is the first to be raised from the dead. What does that mean? It means that when he carried my sin and your sin and died, he went to that portion. And had he not paid the price for sin, he would never have come from the dead. He is not the first to be raised from death. We have people like Prophets like Elijah, Elisha raising people from death. Is that not so? We have even Jesus himself raising. Who was the first person that Jesus raised from the dead? According to the record of scripture. Is it Lazarus? Or it was the widow's son? It was the widow's son or the Lazarus. At least we know that there are two records. Jesus, there was a time, there was a funeral procession, a widow. Meaning that she herself has, had lost her husband. And then her only son had also died. And whilst going for the funeral, I mean for the burial, on the funeral procession, everybody was crying and Jesus Christ touched the coffin. It was just a wooden structure that the boy was lying on. Jesus touched the coffin. Bible says he had compassion on the woman and he touched the coffin and said that, son, I say to you, arise. And the boy came back to life. I want to announce to you that that same Jesus will raise back to life anything that is dead in your life in the name of Jesus. That's beautiful. Isn't that a joy that you are going for funeral to for burial? Then life intercepted death. If there is anything dead in your life, life is going to intercept it. Hey, 
Even your gadgets that are dead, life can intercept it. Glory be to God. That's our God. Then we know about Lazarus. There's something phenomenal about Lazarus coming back to life. Do you know that when Lazarus came back to life, Jesus became so famous that everybody wanted to go, not just to go and see Jesus, but to see the man that was raised back to life. Then, can you imagine? Just think about it. Just, let me just give you a very wonderful picture. Some people plotted that, ah, look, because of this Lazarus that has come back to life, Jesus has become so famous. All the Pharisees and Sadducees, they are leaving our sect and they are going to Jesus. So they plotted that they were going to kill Lazarus. How do you kill somebody who had died and had come back to life? A man who has, who, who has died and has been raised back to life and you are planning that you are going to kill him. Will he fear death? No. He had died for four days, mind you. The fourth day, the Bible said, was it three or four days? Correct me. Four days. And even his sisters were said that by now, Master, he is thinking. And he has been brought back to life. And you are now plotting that you want to kill him. Let me tell you, if you are in Christ, anybody who plots that they want to kill you, they must first kill God and kill Christ before they can kill you. Because the Bible says, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So if they can't kill God and kill Christ, then they cannot kill you. No witch, no wizard can kill you. No witch, no wizard can kill your marriage. No witch, no wizard can kill your business. In the name of Jesus. All right. So Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Means he is the first to be raised from the dead. Nobody ever went amongst the dead and came back by himself. Never. Until Christ came from amongst the dead. Once you enter that place, it is appointed unto man once to die. Even the righteous dead, listen, even the righteous dead from Adam to people like Abraham to people like Moses and all those ones who had died before Christ came on the scene, even them, they were under, you know, there were two compartments. Bible calls one compartment paradise. Abraham's bosom. And then the other compartment was the suffering compartment. And between the two compartments was a gulf. A very deep gutter, as it were. Such that one could not cross from here to the other. Nor somebody cross from here to the other. Jesus told the story. It was not a parable. It was an actual account. Because in parables, the law of parables is that we don't mention names. But in this case, he mentioned Abraham. He mentioned Lazarus. And then he mentioned there was a man called Lazarus. And then there was a rich man. Are you there? So he was not talking about, or he was not giving a parable. It was a real account where the rich man enjoyed the good of this life. And then when he died, the Bible says he went to the suffering compartment of the underworld. Hades. Sure. Such that, look, according to the revelation in scripture, even to get water to quench your thirst, there is nothing like that. And his tongue was burning for thirst. Then he lifted his eye and saw this Lazarus who used to sit at his feet and eat from the crumbs that fell at his table in Abraham's bosom. In Abraham's park, in Abraham's paradise, as it were. Paradise was under the you know, until Christ died and rose again and, and cleansed the heavens 
and sent his blood to the heavens and presented his blood on the altar that was in heaven, the way was not open for anybody who died to go there. Think about it. I'm telling you, you have no idea the price Christ has paid for all of us. So what happened was that Jesus gives this story and says that the rich man looked over and saw this Lazarus who used to suffer whilst in this world now enjoying in Abraham's bosom. And then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, please, can you send this Lazarus? You see, he used to send this man as an errand boy. So he thought that even in the suffering compartment, he still had an errand boy. The levels are changed. Tell you never the levels have changed. Oh, your levels, your level has changed if you are in Christ Jesus. So if you can send this Lazarus to just dip his finger in water and come and drop it on my tongue because I am just thirsty, I'm suffering. This is real account Jesus gave us. So sometimes you have people who have had near-death situations or who have been, been to hell in the company of Jesus or an angel. You must believe those accounts. Not all of them are of God anyway. But those that agree with the revelation of scripture, you must believe that there is something called the underworld. Is that okay? Life is not all that we see. Then, Jesus told that story and said that Abraham told this rich man that it is too late. In fact, there is, there is a deep gulf between the two of us such that Lazarus cannot cross and bring you water. Then the rich man was begging, if, okay, if it's possible, then send somebody to go and tell my, my siblings, my relations, all my family members that, hey, this place is a suffering compartment. They should not come here. Then Abraham told him that if they will not believe the prophets and the law, then even if somebody comes from the dead and comes to tell them, they will still not believe. Hallelujah. Meaning that it's not somebody coming from the dead to tell you what is going on there that may change somebody. After all, even Jesus' account, which I'm talking about right now, has been there. Yet many have still not believed. You must believe the gospel. Hallelujah. Heaven is real and hell is also real. Praise the Lord. All right. So we are saying that Jesus was the first to go there. Jesus first and foremost went to the suffering compartment. Listen, I'm, I'm going to give a picture. That very day that he descended to hell, that very day, he, his blood that he had shed, okay, was enough to remove the sin nature. So that very day, I believe from, from the account of scripture that he conquered, he conquered as it were, death. And hell. So, the Bible says, you know, he told the thief, one of the thieves, that today you will be with me where? In paradise. That tells you that where he went to was paradise. The paradise that Jesus talked about was the, was the, was the, was the pleasure compartment of Hades. Not the suffering compartment. Please, are you getting the picture? And that very day, the Bible says, he went to that place and, and preached unto them. Was he preaching that they should give their lives to Christ? No. He was just telling that, hey, the Messiah that all the prophets have spoken about, I am the one. And the Bible gives us account that when he rose from the dead, all those people rose with him. Think about it. And they went into the streets and they presented themselves. You can see Abraham, you can see Elijah, David, all of them went in the streets. And I believe that when he ascended, he also ascended with them. But the Bible is very silent about which kind of body that they carried. Please take note. And I will not go into any doctrine here to state that they also carried the resurrected body. 
Let me limit myself to revelation of scripture. Is that okay? I said the Bible is very silent about what kind of body they were raised with. But at least we know from scripture that Jesus Christ is the first begotten of the dead. I wrote something here. Jesus is the first to be born from spiritual death. Before his death, burial, and resurrection, he was referred to as the only begotten son of God. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. He was the only one who had the life of God in him. For the life of the flesh is where? It's in the blood. The word that became flesh carried the very life of God. No wonder he says in him was life. In the word was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. So the very life of the word of God is what became the, the blood of Jesus. Which was different from the blood that we inherited in Adam. So he was born as the only begotten son of God. But when Jesus carried our sins into his spirit, died our spiritual, I mean, when Jesus carried our sins into his spirit, he died spiritually, take note, and consequently died physically. What does that mean? It means that Jesus would never have died physically had he not carried our sin first and foremost. I said death is what? Separation. When he died spiritually, meaning when he carried our sin into his spirit, he died spiritually. Just like God told Adam, the day that you eat this fruit, you shall die. And do you know that the very day that he ate that fruit, that day he died, what does that mean? He was separated from God spiritually. There was no more connection. There was no more communion. There was no more fellowship between man and God. That's why God had to drive them from the garden. Hallelujah. God is wonderful. So, when Jesus carried our sins into his spirit, he died spiritually and consequently died physically. Then I said, after the shed blood of Jesus fully paid for the remission of our sins, it became necessary for him to be raised from the dead. If you have paid the price, are you still owing? He paid the price. So, after his blood was that powerful to remove the sin nature, it became necessary for him to be raised from the dead. And therefore, he was justified. In other words, it was as if he never sinned or he never carried our sin. He never sinned. Take note. But he, too, he was justified in the spirit. Means that he was made just as if he never carried our sin. He has washed all my sin and your sin when he carried it into his spirit and his blood was shed. So, he, when he was raised, his spirit and soul reunited with his, with his physical body. Can I say that again? I said, when Jesus was raised, his spirit and soul, when he died, his body was buried. I hope you know that. A man like Joseph, hmm? there was a man called Joseph of Arimathea, and then Nicodemus. They were greaties in their time. They believed in the gospel, except that because of persecution, they didn't show themselves publicly. That is why, even in our time, we still have the Nicodemuses. There are people who may not show them their faces publicly, but they, they carry weight. They are still part of us. Hallelujah. To the extent that Nicodemus is not even using our English language. Nicodemus, you go and see the big man. Nicodemus, you understand? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, when Jesus died, at that time, all the disciples had fled, apart from John, who was with Jesus' mother, Mary. All of them had fled, including Peter. But at that time, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who went to Pilate and, and, and begged for his body. 
And Joseph of Arimathea had a, a tomb that he had never, nobody had ever been laid in. And then he had prepared that place. It was God's design. Hallelujah. And then they put, they, they bomb, they, they, what's the word? Embalm, eh? They embalmed that body and put the body there. The psalm, I mean the psalmist had prophesied through his writings that his body never knew decay. Because of the embalmment, for the three days and three nights, his body never knew decay. Yet it was still this dying body, this, this lowly body, this vile body, this decay body, the body that is subject to decay. That is why they had to embalm it. Had they not embalmed it, probably after three days, it would have started decomposing. Are you there? Are you there? But look at what I wrote here. I said that Jesus is no longer referred to as the only begotten son of God. It is true that before he died, he was called what? The first, I mean, the, the only begotten son of God. But now, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he is now referred to as the firstborn from the dead. Some say the firstborn from the dead. You can check it in Revelation 1 5. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. He is called what? The firstborn. Meaning that if they are firstborn, they are other children. No wonder in Romans chapter 8, he calls him the firstborn amongst many brethren. I'm a brother of Jesus. And you are a sister of Jesus. Firstborn amongst many brethren. It's a family. It's a new family. It's a new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. He is the firstborn from the dead. Who has confirmed it? Revelation 1.5. Is it there? Revelation 1.5. Let me just read it. Just for those who don't know that he is no longer called the, what? He is no longer called the only begotten son of God. God was looking for a family. The Bible says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. He needed to die so that out of his death, burial and resurrection, a new crop will grow. Out of one grain comes many fruits. So we are the other fruits. He is the first fruits and then we are other fruits that followed him. He is the firstborn amongst many brethren. Let me read Revelation 1.5. He said, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. That's his name. He is what? He is not the firstborn from death. He is the firstborn from the dead. To come from amongst the dead. Those who are in the underworld, he is the first to be raised from the dead with a glorified body. And that's a body that awaits all believers, whether dead or alive. Somebody say, glory be to God. Take note that I said his body that he has been raised with is incorruptible. Somebody say incorruptible. It is immortal. It is spiritual. In fact, we can even call it an immaterial body. The reason why I say it's immaterial is that a body that can run through walls is immaterial. Our spirit and soul are immaterial. This body is a material body. In other words, it's matter. Matter is anything that has weight and occupies space. Is that not the definition of matter? Yeah. So, this body is a material body because it is matter. But the body that Jesus Christ now has is an immaterial body. Such that the body can go through walls. Oh, I love it. This Jesus is wonderful. What he has given us is better than anything this world can offer. All I'm doing is whetting your appetite for his coming. Indeed, he is coming. Hallelujah. All right. I wrote down something here. I said the kind of body that Jesus now has is what will be given all 
those who are in Christ at his coming. Oh yes. Okay, let me show you something else. The Bible reveals that there is direct continuity between man's original body and the body with which he will be he will be provided at the resurrection. What does that mean? There is direct what? Continuity. Meaning that yes, there will be a certain degree of difference because this is immaterial, this is material. This is spiritual, this is natural. So you are likely to say that it's a different person but there will be traces in the glorified body that will tell you that he's the same person. I will show you the scripture very soon. I said the continuity consists in this, take note, that the same material elements which form the original body will once again be reassembled to form the resurrected body. I love this one. Never forget what I just read. I said the same material elements is what God at the resurrection will, in the case of Jesus, his body had not decomposed because it was embalmed. Is that right? It was, it was transformed into that glorified body. Had the body even decomposed, God would have still put the, the material elements together to form the same body. But for all those who are dead in Christ, take note, at the resurrection, it's beautiful. The Bible says that, behold, I show you a mystery which are not all sleep. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. How would they, which one is rising? It's not the spirit. The spirit is in heaven if the person is dead in Christ. But it's a body, I've shown you, it's a body that is going to rise. How would that body rise? You are telling us about a body that has decomposed even sometimes after one week, the body has just disintegrated into its original elements. So which one are you talking about? God. Do you know in Psalm 139, the psalmist says something. He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, every one of, you know, my body parts was written. Can we go there? Let me not paraphrase it. Psalm 139. Let me show you something beautiful about what the psalmist said about our body. God knows us. He even said that even not even your hair, one single hair, I will show you the scripture, will be lost. This God is wonderful. He's so beautiful. And I love Jesus. Psalm 139. Look at what the psalmist said. All right. Can I, can I read through quickly? Just give you from verse 1. Oh Lord, look at the psalm. David is telling us about how God formed our body. He said, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known my sitting down and my rising out. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. Before you even talk, God knows what is on your tongue. This God, eh? You can't deceive him. Verse 5, you have, ja you have hedged me behind and before. Did you see that? Say, I'm surrounded. He, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. When, where can I go from your spirit? 
Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Hmm. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my... Look at what David is now describing our body. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. What, do you mean? what does he mean by your frame? I hope you know that when they are building a vehicle, for instance, they build a frame and then they put the real vehicle on it. Your frame is what? Your body. When he formed your frame, then he now breathed into man. And man became a living soul. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Oh. And skillfully wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Did you hear that? Skillfully wrought. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. Listen, every element that makes up your body has been written in a book. In your book, they were all written and they are angels of record that keep all the record such that even your hair is not permitted to fall down. If it falls down, God says he knows the number of your hair. He can tell that if your hair is about not even the total number. Let's say strand, this is strand number one. This is strand number 127. So if strand number 127 falls, God knows that it has fallen down. This God is a God of records. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. He said, and in your book, they all were written. The days fastened for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they will be more in number than the sun. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore you... Okay, on and on and on. Hallelujah. Someone said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every element that makes up your body, God knows. He knows the number and they are all written in a book. So at the day of resurrection, he knows where to get element silicon and element tendon, whatever forms a tendon, element bone. He knows how to gather all the elements and the beautiful thing about this resurrection is that it happens instantaneously. Listen, we don't know the kind of power that is resident in us. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That is now resident in us. That will bring that change. Brother and sister, that is why you don't have to cry when there is trouble. Because there is something on the inside of you that can reassemble the story and change the story for glory. That's where I'm going. I'm not just teaching on resurrection of the dead. I want you to know that you carry something on the inside. Okay. Let's read Luke 24. You will see the confirmation. Luke 24, verse 36 to 43. Look. The gospel according to Saint Luke, chapter 24, verse 36 to 43. All right. Can I read it? 36. Luke said, Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. These were the disciples who had locked themselves up in a room. All windows were closed. All doors were closed because they were, they were afraid of the Jews. 
And as Mary had come to tell them, I've seen the master. He's risen. And as they were saying this, Jesus himself, with windows closed, doors closed, he entered. That's the kind of body I'm talking about. You can appear and disappear. That's why you don't have to fear witches. They attempt to fly. We, we don't fly. We just appear. Hallelujah. Oh, Makatorium and Daisha. Don't fear witches. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified. Listen to his words. They were terrified and frightened. I thought that being terrified and frightened are the same. That tells you that this one was fear beyond measure. They were both terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. I love that. I love that statement. Do you know who a spirit is? They, in the King James, they thought that they had seen a ghost. It is not in our time that we started believing in ghosts. So. Ghosts are real. A ghost is just a disembodied spirit. A spirit without a body. That's a ghost. And I'm telling you, we have ghosts. It's real. Okay, that's not my subject. But in the case of Jesus, it was not a ghost. Look at what happened. Verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. That tells you that, that that glorified body is also a material body that you can handle. He said, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Did you hear what Jesus said? He didn't say a spirit does not have flesh and blood. At the time he had resurrected, all the blood had been poured out. It gives you an idea that in our resurrected state, in our glorified state, we will not need the life that will make that flesh work. It's not blood. It is the presence of God. It's what? The, the very presence of God is what will make the new body work. The, what makes this body now work is blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But in the resurrected state, you don't need blood. It is flesh and bones. It's an immaterial body. It's a glorified body, an incorruptible body. It so resembles the, the, the natural body, yet it doesn't have blood. Something else makes it alive and glow. And that is the very presence of God. Yo, hallelujah. Next week when we deal with the believer's hope, then you understand why we don't have to settle in this life. But we should hope for the best which is yet to come. Hallelujah. Alright. Okay, I said here that from the scripture, from this scripture, did I finish verse 43? I didn't, is that right? Verse 40. When he has said this, look at, uh, this is also beautiful. When he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Hey, that tells you that People think that when we get our glorified body, it means there will be no food. Brother, there will still be food. This was not the first time he ate with them. There was a time he went to the, the seaside and caught fish and, and grilled fish. You are the one who thought you would eat grilled fish. Jesus ate grilled fish with them. Meaning that in our resurrected state, in our glorified state, we will still eat fish. And eat some honey. Glory be to God. 
at least what God, uh, the scripture gives account of is what I'm mentioning. There could be other, other foods. But that tells you that we will still eat. I don't know what the food will do to that body. Yet, I can see here. He said, have you food in a year? Verse 42. So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. Oh, I love that. And he took it and ate it in their presence. So don't say that, oh, that was a ghost. That was a, I mean, that's a glorified person resurrected from the dead. So in our glorified state, in our resurrected state, we will eat. At least we can see fish and honeycomb. Somebody say amen. Okay. I wrote something here. I said, from this scripture, we have the evidence that after his resurrection, Jesus had a real body. And that his body was the same that had been crucified. The evidence of this was in his hands and feet and his side, which, they still, which still bore the marks of the nails and of the spear. Are you there? He said, come and handle me. You can see. Do you remember Thomas said that that day Thomas was not around. When he came and told him, we have seen the master. Thomas said, me, until I see him, me too, I want to see him and put my, my finger into the, the, the hole that was made in his hand. Meaning that in the glorified body, he still had the holes. He still had the, 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 the mark of the spear at his side. Yet it was an immaterial body. That's what I'm saying. There's a continuity from, I mean, there's a continuity. What I wrote, I said, that, that there's a continuity. The Bible reveals that there's a direct continuity between man's original body and the body with which he will be provided at the resurrection. There's a continuity. It said that one is, one is spiritual and the other one is natural. Please, are you following my message? All right. I wrote something here. I said that the resurrected body of Jesus had undergone certain important changes. His body was no longer subject to the limitations of a mortal body in this present world order. His body was no longer subject to the limitations of a mortal body in this present world order. Do you know the limitation of man? So long as our living in this world is concerned, it is his body. Bible calls this body a veil. Someone say veil. I hope you know what a veil is. Let's say this is a veil. If you look through this veil, can you see beyond what is behind there? The reason why God gives us glimpses of the, you know, the future through visions and revelations is because of this veil. But when we shall put on our glorified body, there, there's no more veil. So we shall know just as we are known. We shall see him as he is. Hallelujah. In our glorified state, there's no more veil. It has blinded our spirit and soul so much so that it's, it's become a limitation. We cannot even know the next second what's going to happen. It's a veil. All right. I said Jesus could now appear or disappear at will. He could enter a closed room. He could pass between earth and heaven. Do you remember? He ascended right in front of them on Mount Oliver. The Bible says that he ascended in their presence. I thought that the law of gravity says that anything that goes up must come down. So how come he went up and didn't come down? Then the supernatural body is above the natural law of gravity. Hey, I love Jesus. He could pass between earth and heaven. He now has a glorified body. And that's the body that awaits all of us. Hallelujah. And I said, and this is the body that all those who are Christ will receive at his coming. Let me show you a scripture as I round up my message. First Corinthians 15 again. First Corinthians 15, 35. So, but someone will say, 
How are the dead raised up? I am sure somebody may be asking this question. Is that right? How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Maybe you've still not gotten the picture after all that I've said. Look at the answer to this question. Oh, Paul used a very strong word. Who can tell me what Paul said? Verse 36. It's a very strong word. What did he say? Foolish one. It's strong, eh? He's just trying to tell you that. Why can't you get it? Okay, those of us who, who are into farming. Sir, where are you? Where is Miss? Yeah, you're a farmer. You plant, do you plant, some, for instance, maize? How many uh, seeds of uh, corn do you put in the soil? If you want to get, let's say, a corn tree grow from the soil. About two or three seeds of corn. You put them in the soil and then what happens? We leave it there to die. You leave it there to die. And then germinate. And then it germinates. When it germinates, is it the same two or three seeds that come out? No. What happens? Plenty. It becomes a tree and then it now bears plenty. What happens? How does it happen? That one is only God who can tell us. (laughs) Hallelujah. I love the answer. It's only God who can tell us. All right. So, let's listen to the response of Paul the Apostle as he asked that question. He said, but someone will, will say, verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 30 says, foolish one. Hmm. I pray you will not be a foolish one. I pray you will not be a fool. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know when somebody says you are a fool? You cannot be a fool. But scripture will actually let you identify whether you are a fool or not. The foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. The farmer has confirmed. I said what you sow is not made alive until what? Unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. The body that shall be, the fruits that you see, is that what you sow? When you, when you plant the corn, is it the, plant, the corn with the, with the, the cup and then the, 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 how do you call it? The husk. Is that what you put down there? Is that mere grain? Perhaps wheat or some other grain. Let's say corn in our time. But God gives it a body. Some say God gives it. This is the mystery of God. That tells you that God is involved in our affairs. Even in our natural life like planting of seed. God gives it a body as he pleases. And to each seed its own body. 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men. Another flesh of animals. Oh, I like it that scripture even distinguishes between men and animals. But in biology, they say that we are what? Animals. It's not fair. I said it's not fair. Have you ever seen this? Scripture reveals that there's a flesh of men, including women, because a woman is just a man with a womb. Womb man. So he's referring to all men. One has a womb, one doesn't have. There's one kind of flesh, so that you don't go and say that Oh, it's only men that have some kind of flesh. Women are like, no, it's the same. Hallelujah. But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of bears. Before man talked about what, how do we call that, uh, what? 
nomenclature hmm? in science where you do you give the names that these are based even bible had already done the nomenclature and bible separated man from animals dare you not put man in a class of animals we are the first of first fruit of god's creation so from scripture we, re, we realize that we are not animals i hope you do, you have heard those kind of things that they say that man is what no it's an insult a man created in the image and likeness of god he says he's an animal verse 14 he said there are also celestial bodies who what is a celestial body heavenly bodies like angels they have a kind of bodies they don't have our kind of bodies there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies what is terrestrial those on the earth but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another verse 41 there is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differs from another star in glory verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead the body is sown in corruption. Take note of what happens. The body is sown in what? In corruption. So this body is a corruptible body. Anybody that has died, I don't think that even if it is one month, you go and see the body the same way. It has, it has already decomposed, disintegrated into its original elements. Maybe only the bones will remain. But by and large, the bone will also go through the same process of disintegration into its original elements. Talk about bodies of people like, I mean, those who have lived hundreds of years ago. Their bodies have disintegrated into original elements. But look at what the Bible says here in verse 43. Is that right? No, I'm reading for the two first. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Hmm. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Somebody say amen. I can go on and on and on to verse 45 but I can't stop here. Let me stop here. So somebody say, now I have a natural body. What awaits me it's my spiritual body. That is why if you live in this life and your glory, hmm, your glory is in your, your body, your beauty, you have reduced Christ to lowliness. Haven't you seen that as time grows on, as, as time goes on, as, as you grow, Everything in this life depreciates with time, including our bodies. The only thing that appreciates with time is our recreated body. I mean, our recreated spirit, our born-again spirit. That's the only thing that appreciates with time. But every other thing depreciates with time, including this natural body. So don't put your glory and your honor in your body. Some trust their flesh so much. The Bible says that beauty is vain. You trust your beauty. You believe that you are all in all. So when you dress up, you want to now show some parts of your body to who? Because you take that as your glory? It's nothing. When you see somebody who, is, who believes so much in his body and wants to expose his body parts or her body parts to show that on one or no, all you see is that's all that you have. 
That's all that you have. Nothing else. Don't glory in your flesh. Hallelujah. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Don't take pride and glory in how beautiful you are. Because there's a beauty that awaits us. Hallelujah. Do you know the second time they saw Jesus? In fact, that, that should be the third time. Because the first time, the very first time they saw him, according to the record of scripture, we know that Jesus lived for 40 days before he ascended. But the very first time was when he ascended that very day to heaven and came to them in the evening. And then he said, peace to you. The second time was eight days after, when Thomas was now around. The third time, they were at the beach. Jesus, they were actually, you know, fishing. But Jesus had grilled fish already. And they said, children, do you have any meat? Come and eat. And the Bible said that they wondered, who is this man? They could perceive that this could be the Lord, but nobody there asked any question. Until he sat with them, and when he broke bread, and then they saw that, ah, this is a star, this man always breaks bread. And then he said, he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than this? Hallelujah. All I'm trying to say is that in your glorified state, sometimes you look like the person, sometimes you don't look like the person, but you are the one. It is a better body. It's a glorified body. It's a wonderful body. Don't settle here for anything. Let me read this last verse of scripture that can set the pace for next week's message, the believer's hope. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Let me just read that scripture. This will serve as the basis for next week. First John 3, verse 1 to 3. John writes, says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Hey. Think about it. We. Someone say we. Have you thought about some of the dirty things that we used to do? Said that you, don't, you even feel ashamed now to recollect them then that same person is now called a child of God. It's because of Jesus. He died. He was sown as a single seed, but when he rose, it became possible for us to be raised with him unto newness of life. Look at what John said. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Jesus was the only child of God when he walked the earth. They didn't know him. At a point in time, they said, ah, but we know this man. Is he not the carpenter's son? We know even his brothers and sisters. But they didn't know that the man carried something on the inside that made him the very son of God. Though he was born because of the womb of Mary, he was born with a flesh that everybody had, but he had something on the inside. So don't, don't marvel when they say, oh, but you are you. Don't marvel. Say, I'm a child of God. Hallelujah. I have the life of God in me. I've got the nature of God in me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And above all, I have the spirit of God living in my spirit. Verse 2. Beloved. Oh, I love it. He calls me beloved. Now. Somebody say now. We are children of God. Please. You are not going to be a child of God when you get to heaven. Now. Are you there? Now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed. The King James says, it does not yet appear what we shall be. Listen, we are already children of God. What, what is the proof that we are children of God? We have his life. We have his nature. We have his spirit. As he is, so are we. 
in this world. First John 4, 17. We are not going to be already on the inside. We are the children of God. Now. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know. You got to know this. But we know that when he is revealed, when he shall appear, the King James says so, we shall be, oh, this is the beautiful thing. We shall what? Be like him. This is the believer's hope. I am introducing next week's message. We shall be what? Like him. Where? Where? I mean, where? Which part of our bodies will we be like him? We already like him on the inside. We shall be like him on the outside. Whether dead or alive. Once somebody is dead in Christ, we will show the scriptures next week. I have a lot of scriptures. Next week when you come, come with your notebook. I have a lot of scriptures. To prove to you that both dead and alive, we're going to have this glorified body. When we shall, when he shall be revealed, we shall be like him. Then the next line says, "For we shall see him as he is." Do you remember Matthew five eight? It says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they what they shall see God." That's what the verse three says. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Next week, I'll dwell on that verse a lot. You see, when I was young, I told you before, when they teach in Sunday school, they say that, I used to wonder, how do I stop sinning? But I discovered as I was growing that, hey, the way to stop sinning is when you have this hope of being like him. When you have that hope, you will purify yourself just as he is pure. Until we point the church Towards the hope of seeing Jesus and being like him, you will find believers still sinning. And you wonder why. This is a believer. Why is he still sinning? It's simply because he does, he's only living for now. He's not living in hope of the coming of Jesus and of having his glorified body. That's next week. May the Lord bless his word in your heart. May the Lord anoint you with wisdom such that you will have the, 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 the yearning, the desire, the appetite. The inclination, a strong desire to see Jesus and to be like him. Don't settle here and make this world your home. Yes, one day we'll come back to this earth and reign with him after a thousand years. And after a thousand years, Peter says everything shall be dissolved. And after that, our, our tabernacle in heaven shall come here on this earth. And we shall dwell with him forever and ever in the world to come. So ultimately, Bible says, blessed are which people who shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, eh? they shall inherit the earth. So we will inherit this earth ultimately. But until then, it is not our home. It is called, this one is called, according to Galatians 1, for present evil world. So don't settle here and don't make every life you are living as a Christian just to be for this life, but you're not living in hope of his coming. But that's for next week. Hallelujah. For those who have relations who have died in the Lord. This is an encouragement to tell you that they are not lost. Who are not I saw who are not I remember who in the barracks and somebody died. My brother will remember. They were next door to your house. I won't mention the name. And the person died. They were twins and the twin brother died. 
And at the funeral, I was very young. I was wondering, I was watching. I was young. I was, what's going on here? I kept wondering, Does it, is it true? Although I was young, I knew the scripture that Uwana inside. I said, When somebody dies, it's not over. If the person died in the Lord, his spirit is already in heaven. His body shall be raised back to life. If the person didn't die in the Lord, take note. I said, I don't know by what body they shall be raised. But when we shall talk about the white throne judgment, we will discover that they will also be raised anyway, except that they will be cast into the everlasting fire. That is why we can take advantage of this message and tell those who are our relations, including ourselves, in case we are not living right, that hey, there is an appointed time. If you should leave this earth and you are in the Lord, there is hope for the resurrection of your body. But if you should leave this earth and you are not in Christ, chances are that you will be lost forever. And I don't know what can be worse than eternal death. Bible calls it the second death. Even death, listen, even death shall die the second death. What is the second death? The second death is when all those whose names are not in the book of life will be cast into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the last enemy that shall be cast there is death. So even death shall die. That is why a believer should not fear death. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill this body, but have, they cannot touch the soul. But fear him who can both destroy this body and cast your soul into damnation. Fear that one. Bible says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Bow your heads. I don't know who I'm talking to at this time because I believe that somebody must repent. If you are here, I want to give you this singular opportunity and you don't know this Jesus. He is the first fruits of all those who shall rise from the dead. He has risen. He's alive. The angels told Mary and Cole that hey, he is alive. He is risen. He is not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? This same Jesus wants to give you first his life on the inside so that when he shall come, you shall also be like him on the outside.